Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Oh, yes. I am here. I am, uh, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're only going to talk about positive things that have to do with food. I'm so mad about so many things in food that I'm not going to talk about right now. It's not appropriate to be angry at everyone in America. It's what's happening with these stupid chicken plants taken arresting all these people, putting them in jail, orphaning these children. If we had only been paying the right amount of chicken this whole time, none of this would all be happening. I'm so furious. I'll get to this later, maybe. Clean your rooms. I'm talk to you about this whole chicken situation later. All right, but first off, we're only positive. We're only positive. We're talking to Larry D'Amico. If you live in the great state of Minnesota, you know... Larry D'Amico's name. You definitely know the D'Amico partner's name. So Larry founded D'Amico Partners with his brother, Richard. In 1987, they just about completely changed the Twin Cities dining scene when they opened D'Amico Cucina. This was a high-end Italian restaurant right over by where the twins play nowadays. And so many founding chefs of the Twin Cities started there. Tim McKee, Isaac Becker, Doug Flicker, more people than I could have time to name. Um, that's where everybody started. And so it really raised the bar to find the scene in Twin Cities food but that was not the end of that story. They opened the D'Amico and Sons quick serve chain. You know that. Anytime you're at an airport and you're hungry, that's where you are, right? You're at D'Amico and Sons. Also, opened Campiello, which is a terrific place. Uh, then there are, you know, a bunch of cafe and bar Larcotte, which are the most romantic kind of like linchpins of the Twin Cities food scene. And a bunch of restaurants that maybe only a couple of foodies remember, like Azure. And Linguini and Bob. But chefs came out of those too. So the influence that Mr. Larry D'Amico has had on the Twin Cities cannot be overestimated. But now he's gone, done something else. Took over the whole golf club up in Brooklyn Park to Edinburgh. Opened a restaurant there called The Brooklyn. And... He's mixing it. He's mixing up golf and pleasure, and he's we got him here today because his wrist is hurting, so that's an exciting get for me. Larry, welcome to the show. Hi, Dara. You, First time I've met you all these years. I know. I hide. Yeah, you do. I do on purpose. I took a picture, though, so. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> you got one for reference now, the back of my head? Well. No, I didn't. Good luck. Good luck to you, my friend. Um, you think People are always like, oh, don't they know you're coming? It's like, first of all. You can't contain this amount of personality. Uh, you can't just fill my water glass enough to trick me. I'm wise to your games. People are always like, oh, don't they know you're coming? It's like, what do you think they can do? Can they suddenly learn to cook? No, you can't. Just because I've showed up, that can't happen. doesn't work that way. Are you asking me? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just ranting. I'm mad about the well, whole chicken situation. you know, fortunately in this town now, there's a lot of people that know how to cook, so we don't have to worry about that. I know. That did happen. All right, so let's talk about all the things. How did you 
end up here of all places because you're from Columbus. No, Cleveland. Cleveland. I get Medina, Ohio. Ohio. My parents had a restaurant there that was a very good restaurant. You know, back in the 70s and 80s, there was Mobile Travel Guide. It was like a five-star oh, yeah, yeah. restaurant. And that was before there was any James Baird or anything like that. And my brother and I worked there. And it was one of those restaurants where they, you know, would wheel the cart up to your table and make Caesar salad or uh, oh, carve Chateaubriand or make Bananas Foster. It was a great restaurant. And I worked there. My brother met a flight attendant from Minneapolis and fell in love, you know, in typical love story. And she was from here. So he moved here. He started doing consulting and one day said, I got this great consulting job. Come on out here. So I left my dad, which was very hard, and moved here, and we opened International Market Square. Oh. For Wyman Nelson, who owned it at that time. And uh, we opened a restaurant there called Primavera. Oh, I've only heard of Primavera. Which was in national magazines, so we got some publicity from that. And we did other consulting around the country. But after consulting for a while, we knew that we did not want to keep doing that because it – it's too sporadic, and we had to travel, and we said we want to open our own places, and we got the opportunity to open D'Amico Cucina. And so what? So you, when the restaurant you grew up in as a kid was not Italian. It was called D'Amico's, but it, oh, it was, was it was more continental, as they called it at that time. But there were Italian things. Oh. It started off more Italian. They had it for 35 years. My parents were very successful. And as time went on, the restaurant became less Italian and more fine dining. And then you kind of flipped the script and you decided to go more Italian. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So you opened D'Amico Cucina in 1987. My, I wasn't here yet. I was still in New York, a little aware of my destiny to come out here and eat a lot. Uh, and so what, what was it like? I mean, did you feel like you were you know, elevating the dining scene? Did you feel like it was a revolution? Because when I read about it, it looks like it was a revolution. You know, times were different then. Um, we actually ran that restaurant for the year before. It was called La Tortue. Okay, Lenny Russo and, has told me about that. And uh, it was uh, it was more French, and we went in there, took it over for the owner, and got a four star review from Jeremy Eggers. And the 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 man that owned it decided after one year that he just didn't want to do it anymore, so he closed it. But we took it over and reopened it as D'Amico Cucina. We got a couple investors, and we opened it as D'Amico Cucina. And you know, I mean. It wasn't really what people think Italian was. It was definitely when we opened it more casual than it when it turned into later when Jay Sparks and Tim McKee and uh, different oh, people ran so? it. Oh, is that so? I didn't realize that. It, it was more casual. It wasn't as Italian or fine dining at the beginning. I think we had a, a 12 or $13 chicken entree when we opened. We had a pasta se- section. So it was more casual. But as we were there and working and it kind of morphed into a more of a – Fine dining restaurant, which it turned into. When I showed up, it was the place with the longest and best Italian wine list and, you know, multiple courses. And it was this whole, um, you know, wonderful production. I feel like your signature appetizer that everyone was always crazy about was this piadina, this little flatbread with the the blue cheese and the honey. And yeah, that was great. Or the gorgonzola, excuse me. Uh, one of the famous dishes there was the gnocchi with lobster. Oh, that's That was a right. famous dish there. I think it might have been uh, J.P. Samuelson's dish. 
And so that was there were fewer restaurants here then, and that was kind of the center of it all, right? That was how, kind of how that's what it looks like to me when I read about it. There were fewer restaurants, yes, but there were some good ones. You know, there was. Uh, um, help me out with Coco Lazone. Coco Lazone was a great restaurant. That's what I hear. And uh, name some of the other ones. Help me out. Charlie's Cafe. <laughs> well, Five Ten was here. You know, a lot of the guys that worked from us and women too worked at Five Ten. And uh, Sid Larson started that regime over there and getting a lot of good chefs. And uh, there was Alfredo's in St. Paul. I don't know if that was before that was before you, but that was a good Italian restaurant in St. Paul. Two lips. But uh, there were good about. restaurants here, but not as many. Not like today. Yeah, today I feel like food is the new sports. It's like the other thing you can do when you're not working. You know, I have to tell you. Uh, you know, I do travel and we do research in other cities. We love to go to other cities and eat and see what kind of food they have. But when you go, even when you go to Cleveland now, Cleveland thinks they got they have the hottest food scene in the country. You know, we think that here too, and rightfully so. We have a great food scene here, but it's happening everywhere, all around the country. Yes, it is because it's uh, my theory is that food is the new sports, and that it's also the rise of uh, women with money. You know, that's what, what do women want to do if they have some, so, you know, time out? They have so they have. A job, and they can actually have some discretionary income, or they want to go sit with their friend and eat dinner, or they want to go to a nice dinner with their uh, mate or spouse, and so that's where I th- that's where I think it comes from. And younger people, I think, like to go out more. Yes, they just that's their sport. They love that. Yes, very much so. It's a constant thing in the Twin Cities. That go to the new. That's what you want to do. You want to go on a date to the newest thing. And you have the newest thing. But so I want to stay with Jamika Kachina, though. So you opened it. It felt like the center of the world. That's what I That's what I read. And that seems like that would have been a, a simpler way to live, to have one center of the world. <laughs> and for us? <laughs> for you, for just the whole city. I mean, now it's like, you know, we have, uh, you know, we don't have one power restaurant. We have 20 power restaurants for different circles. Well, you know, we were young and you have big dreams and we wanted to do a lot. We wanted, you know, one restaurant wasn't enough. And you see that nowadays, too, with the people in town. They open one successful restaurant, and what's the next thing? The next year they want to open another one. And it's 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 kind of contagious in this business. You know, people that open restaurants have a certain drive. And when they have one successful restaurant, you know, and in Italy you'll get a, a maestro chef that he'll open one and he'll work that restaurant every day for the rest of his life. It's not. It's really not like that anymore. They want a young chef. It has some success and he wants to do it again. Like a entertainer wants to have another great song. A lot of the restaurateurs I talk to here, though, it's like they're chasing scale to get to some magic number. You know, there's some magic number where they can meet payroll and take a vacation and do a couple of things. And it's always like the third restaurant somehow is where that over the rainbow spot is. Financially speaking, yes. But at the same time, maybe they have other ideas, you know, art inspired ideas that they want to get. They want to get it on paper. They want to roll it out and see how it works. They want to cook. You know, Jay Sparks cooking in uh, lacrosse now, and he cooks all those meals. He makes all the bread there for that restaurant. He cuts every loaf of bread by himself because he loves it. And he's cooking there every night because he wants, that's fun. Cooking food for people is fun for him. We're talking about Love Child. So that's yes. one of your uh, 
so Jay Sparks, legendary chef in the Twin Cities, and he worked for you at D'Amico Kachina. Then he went off and did this smaller thing in Wisconsin called Love Child. Uh, everyone raves about it. Yes, he worked for us. I was 20 or 25 years. He was great. But he always had this dream to do his own little restaurant. So he went and did it. And how is it? Great. You like Been it? there? I went there once. I need to go again. And did you – and I bet you get treated like a king. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perks. Those are the perks. All right. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to Larry D'Amico. He needs no introduction in the Twin Cities. So, you know, take a little break before we get into uh, the the new thing that you've got, the Brooklyn, up in Brooklyn Park. Um, so you – I wanted, I do want to ask you, though, before we do take this break – Tell me about the mix that you have now. How does how does the D'Amico and Sons and Campiello, you know, work with uh, – how do they all work together now? Well, we always had three divisions. We had full-service restaurants where D'Amico Cucina was. Campiello's in there. We have uh, restaurants in Florida too. We have a big Campiello down there that's very successful. It's been open 20 years. And then we opened a new steakhouse down there called the Continental, which is very successful and so we have businesses down there that my brother, Richard, who started the company, he was the first one. He's the founder of our company. I also have one other partner, Paul Smith, our CFO, has been with us since 1986. But uh, Richard runs the businesses in Florida and maybe a couple up here. And then I run D'Amico and Sons and D'Amico Catering up here. We have a lot of expansion in D'Amico Catering because we like that business. Oh, you've been to a party. You probably had D'Amico Catering, or have you been to 10 parties? <laughs> yeah, been... this, we, we have three new properties this year, um, Ashery Lane, uh, Bavaria Downs, and Edinburgh, which we'll probably talk a little more about. Yeah, we will when we come back. But So just real quick, how do they work together, though? Is it one corporation? Do you run them as three different businesses, or do you run them as 20 different businesses? D'Amico Holding Company. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we have someone in charge of each division, and we meet regularly, and we run it as it's one brand. And is it run out of the Twin Cities somewhere? Yes, we have uh, our offices are at International Market Square. Oh, very interesting. I mean, so this uh, uh, you've just been a huge part of life in the Twin Cities here since 1987, and I think that probably a lot of people don't realize they're having your food very often when they are, especially at weddings and uh, events like that. A lot of people get the confused with D'Amico Catering and D'Amico and Sons. They're two different businesses. So they'll call D'Amico and uh, Sons for a, a wedding for 300 people, and, and they'll call uh, D'Amico Catering for some sandwiches delivered. So sometimes they get it mixed up. You know, they're two different businesses. It's 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 bigger. You're like an iceberg. We can only see the top 10% of what's going on. All right, we're going to take a little break here. We come back. We're going to find out about the newest D'Amico restaurant is up in Brooklyn Park, and it is called The Brooklyn. Dara here. I'm talking to Larry D'Amico. Needs no introduction. Uh, so if you have any questions for Larry or for me, you can text or call in 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226. I'll take questions on all the things for the Ask Me Anything later as well. Uh, so, all right. So this story, you've been changing the Twin Cities for a long time and Florida, but I don't I don't eat in your Florida restaurant, so we won't talk about that just now. Um, but you just did a new thing. You took over the golf course and restaurant in St. – in uh, 
Brooklyn Park, Edinburgh, USA. Tell me about this. All right, I'm going to back up a little bit. Yeah. When we were doing the other consulting work, when we opened D'Amico Cucina, we opened the clubhouse at Edinburgh, 1987. Whoa. It was privately owned by a gentleman from Edina. He built it on a public golf course, private clubhouse. He hired us to open it. So we designed it in the interior. We designed the the ballrooms and the restaurant. But six months after it opened, he financially it fell apart and we were gone. So the city ran it. And then oh. they hired somebody to run it for the next 30 years. Then after 30 years, they decided there were still people that were around that said, we liked it when the D'Amico's were here. So they came to us and said, would you come back and run it? And we said, well, it needs to be remodeled. So the, the uh, city gave us the money to remodel. They invest in it. It's their property. They own it. And they leased us the business. So we remodeled it this spring and opened it in April. And uh, we have the ballrooms up there to do events. And then when we reopened the restaurant as the Brooklyn, and then there also is a private club within this public uh, public building called St. Andrew's Club, and we run that, and we have 250 private members there. But the public is welcome. All right, so this is the ultimate don't-change-your-phone-number business story, right? So 30 <laughs> years later, they just pull you out of the Rolodex. How about that? <laughs> That's amazing. And now, of course, i got to ask, did you do a good job? Do you walk around going, who designed this place? I mean, my brother, he he's our design person. It's gorgeous. You have to come up and see it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And uh, the restaurant is, you know, I think we did a good job on the food. We the, Our marching orders from the city were we want a restaurant, a good restaurant for the golf course, for that group of people. And then we also want a restaurant for the community that they can use as somewhere nice to go and have dinner. So we had accomplished both. And I think we did. I think we did a great job. We got some good food there. All right. So bar program. Sell me on it. What do you got? What should I go? Why should I go to the Brooklyn? What do they got? One of my favorite thing is the tamarind and honey glazed ribs served with the fried rice. You can get it as an appetizer or uh, an entree. That's one of my favorite dishes. There's, uh, you know, we put some things on that make the golfers happy. Like we have a couple kinds of uh, smoked or dry rub wings, a great nacho dish with pork carnitas. Um, we, you know, naturally we, we always have. We don't buy anything, so the food is very high quality. We have some great entrees with uh, some Schooner Bay salmon that's served with some local vegetables that uh, is a gorgeous dish. So there's some nice things on there. And what's it like to open? Do you do you still get the same, you know, anxiety about opening a thing after you've been doing it for 30 years? You know, there's we have another brother. I got to tell you a quick story. Another brother lives in L.A. and he worked in television for years. And when we were kids, he was the kind of guy he always wanted to put on a show, put on a show, put on a show. So he, or put on a parade. We'd put on a parade or at our house we'd put on a show because he's very theatrical. Doing the restaurant work is exactly like that. Yeah, I could do it a hundred more times. Yeah. It's fun opening a restaurant. It's fun creating. It's fun coming up with a new menu and putting food on a plate. I love seeing food on a plate and taking pictures of it. Mine and other people's. <laughs> so the oh you still got the butterflies. You're still you're not you're just not sitting there cynically going, you need a Caesar salad and a burger. That's what Americans like. 
No, I still love it. <laughs> you know, I mean, even if it's just a burger, make it a good burger. That is the truth, and the world will beat a path to your door. We just did a burger cover, and the amount of uh, innovation, love, and attention to detail that a bunch of chefs bring to burgers in this town is really inspiring. It, it just really can bring a tear to your eye. I could get worked up about it. People put so much integrity into their work. Uh, it's just lovely to see. But, uh, all right, so I got to ask you, you knew this, the, the zinger was coming. What do you think of the food scene now? You've been watching this for a long time. What do you think of the actual Twin Cities food scene now? Because I feel like we, uh, do I feel like we peaked a few years ago? I a little bit feel like that we, there was a time where there was a little more uh, quality and now we have a little more quantity, and the quality is a bit dilute. Like, you can still find amazing things. What do you think? Well, you know, I mean, you and I should probably discuss this not on the air. but That's not fun! <laughs> and and bring up restaurant names. But, you know, I don't look at it as year by year. But, I, I mean, I go out and look at the new restaurants now, and uh, they're great. Martina, I had dinner at a month ago. And Both Martina and Kalita. The, yes, they're now, those are great restaurants. And, I mean, I went three times. And the first two times I went, and I said it was good. The third time I went to Martina, it was perfect. Yeah, I would say those and are terrific I, restaurants. I was, I was wowed. People are going to want to know. Martina and Kalita are the two restaurants by uh, Chef Danny Del Prado. And they're both in southwest Minneapolis. And he's one degree separated from D'Amico Cucina because he was – the right hand to Isaac Becker, who was a chef at D'Amico Cucina. Yeah, and Isaac, he worked at Campiello, too, and and D'Amico Cucina, but uh, Isaac's got a army of good people. Yes. He does. He's a great chef and uh, a good person to work for. He has a lot of good people working for him. And a good person to have work for you. You were very good at hiring people. <laughs> you had just this legendary kitchen, Doug Flicker, who went on to do uh, Piccolo and really huge stuff in the Twin Cities. You know, Tim I, McKee. I got to tell you, Doug Flicker, we first hired, it was 1985 when we opened International Market Square. And Doug Flicker was on the original a squad that we brought in, and he rehired him right out of high school. We have he a was, picture of him in the magazine, and I don't think he had like a little kid mustache, you know, or he it's was just coming in. Just, he was a he baby. Was 17 or 18 years old, and he used to wear yellow tennis shoes with no socks. Aww. I just give him a hard time about it, but look, he turned into a great chef. Yeah, and you had just amazing talent. I mean, you, you picked him. You picked a succession of— and That was before D'Amico Cucina, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what is the secret? I think it's uh, it's you know you talk to people and see what they have to say and you hire the people that make you feel good and uh, a little bit of luck involved you know temperaments important knowledge and desire are real important and uh, their temperaments important they have to be good to the other people they have to you know it's got to be people that other people want to work with or for and they have to have the talent by all means. Talent's probably most important. Talent and people that get along with other people. That seems like a it seems like a good thing because people do just go for talent, and then a lot of the people that are just pure talent are they're stabbing trash cans you, and you throwing stuff. You can't throw pans <laughs> at them. No. <laughs> All right, I could talk to you for a thousand more hours. Uh, legend Larry D'Amico. Thank you for. <laughs> 
coming in today. He's laughing. See, that's what happens. You you hurt your wrist. You can't go play golf. You get to come in here, and I will entertain you for <laughs> for half an hour. All right, this is super fun. I've always wanted to meet Larry D'Amico. Um, he's done so much for the food scene in the Twin Cities. So thank you. Thank you. All right, we come back. Going to talk about Door County cherries. We got a bunch of recipes up at WCCORadio.com. They look good. Are you going to learn to make a cherry clafouti? It's actually pretty easy. It's just like a pancake batter, but a little more eggy. And then you throw cherries in, you bake it. It's delicious. We'll talk that when we come back. Dara here. All right, so here's what happened to me. I walked into the grocery store, my local co-op. And the Door County cherries were piled high. And I said, I'm the luckiest person in the world. It's What? It's Door County cherry season. So you get all involved in your life and you forget that out there, out in the fields, out in the orchards, the, the cherries are ripening. All right. So I went and looked up some cherry facts to amuse you. You know, 10% of the cherries commercially harvested in America come from Door County. 10%. That's a that's not nothing. That's a lot of that's a lot of cherries. All right, so we're talking about 10 million pounds of cherries roaring out of Door County from 270,000 trees. Isn't that fun? Think about that. Those trees with all the birds flapping around in them. I love Wisconsin cherries. They are delicious. They are out. They are here. I also learned the average pie has 250 cherries. Isn't that kind of interesting? I thought that was kind of interesting. 250. Someone counted that for a little fact that I could read to you later. That's, that's. Uh, I don't know. Is it, a, is it fun to count the cherries in a pie or is that a waste of your day? Well, whatever. Someone else did it. Now you know. All right. So here's what I have for you up at WCCORadio.com right now, this very second. While you hear the sound of my voice, all of my five favorites. I put a cherry pie recipe up, even though cherry pie is not my favorite. The problem, here's my problem with cherry pie, is that it can't hold together without starch. It just it just turns into a soup. But I don't really like the taste of starch because I'm very precious and special. So the way that the best one I've found of all the cherry pies use a tapioca starch and I have a link to a cherry pie with tapioca starch. Uh, And you have to be careful, I guess, today because some things that are marketed as tapioca don't come from cassava, but they are tapioca. Anyway, apparently you got to read labels now. Uh, Something like Bob's Red Mill, they have the real tapioca starch. And I have a recipe, link, all the good stuff. All right, but this is the one I actually like more. But I knew that if you you can't talk about cherries without cherry pie, you just you can't. People come and kick you in the shins. I'm sure that's what happens. But here's the one that I like more because then you don't need the starch, which is a cherry custard tart with sliced almonds. So cherries and custard, that's just a that's perfect. That's magic. That's everything you like in life or everything I like in life. So whose birthday is it? They need a cherry custard tart. Go on WCCORadio.com, look at the recipe, and then uh, make them a tart. Now, this is the thing I was talking about. Apparently, nobody knows this word except me. Maybe we need a better word, but clafouti. So clafouti, this is like the easiest thing in the world. You're making essentially a pancake batter. It's just eggs and flour. It's loose. 
and then you pour it into a pan and you put cherries in it. You can put other things in it. You can make peach clafouti, all these things. But this is like the easiest way to get to cake. Easy. Don't be afraid of the word clafouti. I have word up there. Larry told me when he was leaving that people are not going to make this because they want to have chocolate. You can put chocolate in it. Just sprinkle it in there. It's like a pancake. It'll bear a lot. You've got like a load-bearing batter, and then anything you can chonk in there, do it. Cherry clafouti. I love it. And then I thought, well, maybe you want to just, you know, do a 10-course cherry meal in your house. You could do that. So I've got a savory cherry sauce. So this you're starting with shallots and thyme, putting in some vinegar with your cherries. And then you can put that on turkey or chicken or duck, anything. You could, if you really just want to eat all the Door County cherries, which I endorse, if you want to do that, you should. Very good use of your time. You could make some of this uh, savory cherry sauce and then bust it out at Thanksgiving. You could freeze it. You could do that. Wouldn't that be special? Yeah, or Christmas. Not more a Christmas thing, I guess. Do it. All right, and the last one, I could have just made five cherry cocktails because it's just been that kind of a week. But sour cherry gin sling. So here's what you do to make a cherry sauce. You take your cherries. You get the pits out of them because they turn things bitter. You put them in a saucepan. You put sugar on top. Cook it, cook it, cook it. And then you strain it, and you're going to get this bright red magical elixir. You can now do anything. You have a homemade cherry syrup. You can put it in lemonade. You could make a daiquiri. You can put a little bit of just a gin and tonic and slight, you know, make that a little fancy. But I have a recipe for a gin sling because a gin sling is great and a cherry gin sling is even greater, even if it's a little difficult for me to say. All of these are up at WCCORadio.com. I'm also staring at the text line right now. I've got some breaking tomato pie news on the text. I'll get to that when we come back. And anything else you want to throw up there, or you can call in too. 651-989-9226. Dara here. All right, the text line is filling up. Did I know that the cherry pies at the inn at Cedar Crossing in Sturgeon Bay, Indoor County, have seven pounds of cherries in each pie? I did not. That is a lot of cherries. And they're awesome pies. You know, we should just, we should have our own festival. We should take over a parking lot and everybody just bring cherry things. I just, I love them so much. They're super good for you too. Anytime you see one of these fruits that is dark like that, they're just full of antioxidants and just, uh, they're just good for you. Enjoy them. All right, I've got some uh, people want to know if I will come up with a recipe for cherry bounce. Yeah, I can do that. I will, I will look around, find a high-quality cherry bounce recipe. All right, so in other news, I love it when you send me what you're cooking. It makes me so happy. we got someone out there in the 651 making two loaves of banana peach pecan bread. Okay, I just want to come over. Do you know what that would – do you know how good your house smells if you're making two loaves of banana peach pecan bread? That is delightful. So that's happening somewhere in the 651. And two tomato pies with tomato peppers from the garden. All right, like I, my heart just kind of swelled two sizes. That sounds like such a nice day. And it just 
in case anybody's wondering, tomato pies are having a moment. All of the fancy food magazines are like tomato pie, tomato pie. Uh, they're kind of like a, a quiche thing, but with extra, extra tomatoes. And they are delightful. And that is a good thing to do. Um, I, I just feel good about that. Thank you for sharing that with me. It just makes me happy. It makes me happy um, to, to hear about what you're cooking because you're taking care of yourself giving yourself good nutrition, you're making your house smell good, you're uh, being around the people you love, and you're not in part of this whole horrible situation that is going on with shutting down these chicken plants in Missouri and putting all the parents in jail. The thing, the reason this is making me so furious is that I have been talking about this for 20 years. We need to support real chicken farmers People in doing small farms. I want to talk about Callister. Callister is one of my favorite chicken farms. They make the best. I got a, uh, I was going to talk about them this week anyway because somebody f- messaged me on Facebook wanting to know about never frozen chicken. Okay, first of all, if you've never had never frozen chicken, it's a life changer. Callister is a little farm that's just south uh, southeast of the Twin Cities, and they are at the farmer's market on uh, St. Paul Farmer's Market on Sundays. And you can go to the farm. You can actually drive to their chicken farm and see a real family chicken farm on Wednesday afternoons. So uh, let me see if I can find the website for you, and I I will tweet that out. But uh, it's just a a lovely farm, a lovely farm family. And here's what. Chicken from this lovely Minnesota farm where they do everything the right way is like 4 bucks a pound. Go into any you know, big box retailer and the terrible chicken is a dollar a pound. And the only reason you can have a dollar a pound chicken is if you're concentrating these chickens in these terrible factories, you're exploiting the workers, you can't pay an American to work in those conditions, you have to move the production line so fast that you're going to wear a diaper and it's hazardous, it's hazardous to getting hurt, It's and you're feeding these poor chickens antibiotics, which we need for human health. The only way you can have this dollar a pound chicken that you're getting at Walmart and all these places is a completely exploitative system. And I have been saying now for 20 years that we need to go to places like Callister. We need to go to local farms like Khadijan and pay them a reasonable wage for their product. We can only, you know, and then to have this all culminate in these children uh, being essentially orphaned in their lives with their parents in jail for these so that we can have dollar a pound chicken. Oh, it's just I can't believe this is happening. I'm so upset about this whole thing. So we really need to talk about the value of paying American farmers. All right. I'm going to start branting because I've got Christina Lindstrom on the on the line from Christina from Lindstrom. Christina, yes. welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And by the way, kudos. Um, factory farms, no sustainable agriculture. Yes, you go, girl. Thank you. I just feel like I can't talk about it every day for a thousand years, but then I have to because now what I hear is that like millennials don't care about this. They uh, want to be vegan. It's like, well, this is just you're going to be sick and you're not going to have the world you want. You can't get all the nutrition you need out of flour and oil. Okay, Christina, you didn't call to talk about this. Just talk about what you wanted. Okay, but that is something I want to. So I'm so glad you bring it all up. We are huge fans of your, my husband and I, and we're normally driving and working and listening to your show and have so many questions, but don't have time to ask. Today, we're home for the day and we're cooking. Perfect time. I'm 
so glad you're there to help me. I have, I'm a huge foodie. We love cooking and making lots of things, but we have a big rack of ribs. These Uh-oh. are St. Louis ribs. I love a dry rub. We're, we've been staring at these all morning and had absolutely no idea what to do with them. Oh, well, let me ask the basic questions. Are you thinking about uh, doing them in the oven or you got a smoker or something? We could put them on the grill, you know, and do and, you know, put the coals on one side and them on the other or put them in the oven. I'm just dying for anything. And we just really love a dry rub. We don't like lots of sauce or anything. Just a nice dry rub, just something. And yeah, and how to cook them. I would just be ever grateful because I've had them many times and had no idea what to do. Well, I agree with you. I think I think that you can. I, I like to. I think that they. I think they're best. I mean, if you can get your grill go, you know, if you can get the grill to stay lit today with all the rain and the kind of everything. Um, what I like to do is do a, a basic rub. Um, you know, I like something with a just salt and pepper and garlic powder and a little a little bit of maybe espresso powder, maybe some brown sugar in there. And chipotle, a little chipotle powder, too. And then you just kind of, um, you know, just pat that all on it. Uh, let it rest in the room temperature for a bit while you get your fire going. And then just kind of keep it off to one side, slow and low. You know, just maybe you put put a pan of water over the fire. And then you can just do that for a really long time. Um, and it should eventually get... It should eventually turn into something perfect. I will tweet you out uh, a recipe. I know in my head that I will be able to get this to you. Um, what is your preferred so way to find things? And crazy fun. Is your is your preferred way to find things on uh, uh, Facebook or Twitter or Facebook. Facebook? Facebook. I will put it up on Facebook. All right, Christina. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you so and much. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. All right. Hi to your husband. All right. And then what's going to happen next week? I got Jordan Smith. Uh, He's the founder of Black Sheep Pizza. He's going to come in and talk about cooking pizza pies in this high-quality pizza state. And then uh, until then, you know, hope the the moon doesn't hit your eye like a big pizza pie. That sounds uncomfortable. I hope it hits it like something far away in the sky. And I think that's Amore, too. And I'll meet you here next week on Off the Menu. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.